So hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Steve Pugh. I do something called the Growth Strategy Podcast here on the internet and what we like to do is introduce you to interesting people that can help you with your business or career. I often pick people that I actually have some sort of link to because for me there's a, a rapport, there's like an authenticity to that as opposed to just interviewing random people and then likewise also on key sectors so it'll often be on entrepreneurship, tech, education and a few of those kind of things as well and we also like to share people's stories because I know I, know I grew up before the internet but likewise it was often very difficult to learn from people and hear from people who have maybe done a career that you want to to do or follow but if you've never actually kind of done it or followed it yourself how do you how do you learn that kind of stuff so I always like to dig into people's backstories as well and hopefully if you join us for the next kind of 30-40 minutes uh, it might be interesting and this all gets clipped up and goes on to YouTube as well so if you search for Roadmap MBA on YouTube hopefully it'll uh, pop up so Patricia I've probably known for about a year and a half two years now we've worked together on a few different kind of projects as well but I'm going to let her introduce herself uh, and if you have any questions or comments drop them in the chat it should pop up on my screen and then hopefully I'll bring them in so there we go hi Patricia everyone can now see you and hear you Hello, hi, um, Steve, thank you for inviting me and hello everyone. No, it's a pleasure. This is actually my first one that I've done since July, which um, you, you, I think with any business, you can get into a cadence and you get into a rhythm and you just smash them out every week. But then I, I one of the big projects I've worked on this year was actually selling a company and we completed it in July and it just took over my life. And um, because of that, I, I took a break, which is the honest answer to it. But actually, I, I really enjoy doing these. And part of the reason I love to do them live is to have that interaction that often and especially, you know, I started these during COVID and I was stuck in my bedroom at home. And I just, I love to both share other people's stories, but pick their brains and actually try and get the value out as well. Um, so although I know you pretty well, for people that don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? All right, well, I'll try to be short here. You don't have to be uh, that short. You can will, take this long. Yeah, no, no, no. We'll be um, probably, you know, people will get to know me through through the conversation later on. But I would say I'm a business enthusiast, and my love affair with entrepreneurship and business became very early in my late teen years. I have a passion for technology and a knack for leadership, and that has led me to orchestrating startups, designing solutions for blue chip clients and tech companies. Um, all while trying to understand how to and trying to help boost business by building um, networks and, you know, kind of uh, finding the right place in the ecosystems. And that's something that is uh, something that I really value and always try to develop. So you can think of me as kind of a business navigator. Because <laughs> I think it was with, I might be wrong, but Startup Grind Newcastle, I think was the first time we met. Yes. And one of the things that I've found, and I think it'll be true for a lot of people, but especially in a, a post-COVID world. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of us spent a lot of time on our own or online, where actually yeah. a lot of people will have met in the past three to five years online. I know we've met several times in person, but you get my point is almost that I think there's real value in, and we'll go on to this later, but startup accelerators and groups of people getting together um, to actually just talk about stuff and meet each other and hire each other and talk about issues and all those kind of things because although we all often have a skill set in a particular area 
you don't know everything and I'm the first person to kind of admit that. So although I know a lot about business and that kind of thing, I don't necessarily know a huge amount about startups, fundraising, tech, tech stacks, that kind of thing, that actually that's when you can really plug and play and learn from other people's experience, which is a lot better way to do it than trying to figure it out yourself from scratch. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's something that we have in common. I mean, from very early years, I've realized that the power is sometimes in very accidental connections, very accident. Sometimes you meet someone you don't think it's going to be significant and they just give you a little nudge and you don't even recognize that as a huge push. It's just a little nudge. And it happened to me very early when I was going through some, uh, you know, difficult time as a teenager, uh, not knowing where to go. And that probably pushed me into actually doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. into, into running a business. And sometimes, so sometimes do little nudges, you don't recognize them, or someone just connects you with someone else. Mm -hmm. And it has a huge, you know, it, it's a huge leap for you. Uh, so absolutely, I think building networks, being in um, communities, a lot is growing on communities. And like, I mean, I'm I'm part of a startup grind community where we met. Uh, but I look at other organizations as or, or startups. A lot is actually built on communities. There is a power in in a group and on your own it's never never great even if you know much about the vc or startup mm -hmm. still you can learn so much from others so yeah, yeah absolutely cool. so one of the things i love to do is dig into people's backstories because i think it really helps flavor the character and give you a yeah. feel for you know who they are what the background is that kind of thing um so whereabouts did you grow up well i was born in poland in a small town of uh, in in Poland, um, in a house um, that was very much uh, full of books. <laughs> My parents, by profession, were teachers. My father was also an entrepreneur, but they were teachers uh, by profession, and um, that I think shaped a lot of the. I mean, in, in a big way, it shaped the way I, I, I've been thinking for years and it's probably, you know, still leaves the impact of those, those roots. But a small town in Poland, then I um, moved to a bigger town, pick up one studies, then I moved to the north of Poland where I studied and run companies, then I moved to Warsaw, then I moved to the UK. So kind of a nomad life, mm -hmm. um, but growing up, that's that's Poland. I think from early years, I was very independent. I always had my opinion, if not to say that I was opinionated in some ways, and I had to learn to tame it. Um, sometimes it got me in trouble at school. Um, later on, uh, something that I realized my daughter took after me. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, straight and direct approach of telling things that I, I, I believed in. Um, yeah, so so Poland's um, kind of a academic family, mm -hmm. uh, but also in an entrepreneurship environment. Okay. You know, because one of the things that I always like to try and spot common trends and themes between a lot of the people I speak to, and a lot of entrepreneurs, they're not afraid to challenge the status quo. In, in fact, you, you kind of have to, you you know, you, you will not be very successful in business if you just do the same as what everyone else does, because chances are somebody already does it. But I was kind of, I'm always interested in the common themes and traits, which do run through a lot of people that actually, 
it's I was the same in a lot of ways I was I was for good academically but I was also quite naughty so the teachers would say but yeah. one of the the big things which kind of got me was that I wasn't picked up and that I was short-sighted until I was 17 18 I just thought it made sense that stuff further away got blurry I thought that just made sense anyway but what happened was that so I was disruptive at school not because I wanted to be disruptive but because I couldn't see the board properly and it was those kind of things of where you know you always think well what if um I, I would have been picked up earlier could I have done something else but the truth is a lot of that life experience helps build different types of character and then, you know, you might develop humor if you get bullied and lots of different things can set you on that path, which can then, you know, it's what makes everyone kind of unique uh, mm. as they kind of go through. So what did you, what was your school life like? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Did you play any sports? Um, I think I did enjoy that. Um, I, I was that student with a nose in books for hours. So it wasn't about when I learn or when I've learned, it was about learning continuous, like continuous professional development we have right now. Mm -hmm. and, and and I believe in that, but I was a continuous learner at school. There was never an end. I could always read one more book on a subject. And then I was very tired and didn't remember. So I had my picks in terms of my favorite subjects, which was always art, you know, anything artistic, anything more kind of language oriented, all the humanities. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I hated maths. And my teacher convinced me that I'm terrible at maths. So that stayed with me, I think, for years. Uh, but I also was was very entrepreneurial, even at, at, at school. So I was good at arts. My art projects were quite good. Mm -hmm. So one day, I think at the age of 10 or 11, I took my friend from school and decided that we were going to sell our art at the local market. So 6 a.m., Tuesday, Thursday, we were there, both of us, making money, selling makrama. So, you know, you can't, I think, you know, once you find something like that in yourself, that kind of, it's a common pattern throughout your your life. So the primary school, that was, that was early years. And then at 17, I mean, I went to... Um, my secondary school was in a different town. I went to a private school. So I started community commuting and, and very, very quickly kind of flew out of the nest, uh, going to school, took up um, some some other additional courses and schools on top of that. Um, very early at, I think, age of 18, did like a two-year uh, journalist diploma, which was uh, way too early, I think, for a secondary student. Um, but, you know, all this kind of shapes you in a, in a way um, that you are always hardworking. I, I, I continues, I, I mean, I uh, simultaneously with the primary school, I was doing the primary music school, mm -hmm. which I hated and I never played the piano. I never touched the piano later on once I graduated, but I did eight years of uh, mm -hmm. music school. And I think what it trained me is perseverance, persistence, uh, pain, because that was school when you could get beaten if you played bad notes. Uh, but but trying and trying and trying. Uh, I don't play the piano nowadays, but I think it taught me a lot of things that help me or mm -hmm. sometimes are actually obstacles on my way when I do things because like, you know, yeah. nothing is ever ready or, you know, perfectionism. This is something that I had to really 
fights. But the thing is, it's, it's, I think it's those traits. So the same character traits which drove you to do piano, other than being hit with a stick. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, so for me, it was sports, but for different people, it's different things. And it's that element of where you can always learn different things from different people, whether it's a piano teacher or a basketball coach or whichever. And it, it, for me, it's that that's why I still coach basketball now. It's where it's helping to guide people on in life as in as much as, you know, just basketball in, in some ways. So now I'm really with you. But you also started your first business quite young. Would you be happy to kind of talk us through that? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh this was very, very early. I was 17 and it happened in a way, I think by accident um, and a coincidence. Uh, it was a language school. I was at that time still in that little town, mm -hmm. um, but taking taking tuition in a, in a, in a different city and community commuting. Uh, I had the opportunity to visit uh, a family in the UK for language schools, for summer schools. Mm -hmm. So my language at the time, and we were talking early 90s in Poland, where, you know, you could be university diploma, you know, um, uh, language teacher, but never been to England where I had that contact. And I, I, I had a huge love for England mm -hmm. and for, for the language. So my approach, I mean, I, I, I think I spoke quite fluently, but I loved the language. It was more about the culture and I think mm -hmm. it was just visible in me. So I started having inquiries of like, could you teach me? Could you help me? Uh, and that very quickly within two weeks, absolutely by accident grew into a more formal sort of curriculum based school. I had a very good teacher who kind of I, by observing helped me navigate how to how to do that um and i don't know the moment when i uh realized that it could be a business but i was i think being myself and being trained with that sticker of the piano and my fingers i think i um i sort of took it very seriously um and uh at some stage realized that I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. People bring more people. I think within two weeks we had 30 students. Wow. And then very quickly, uh, when I was approaching to my sort of like equivalent of A-level ex exams in, in the UK, um, it was in Poland, mature exams. I already had a number of different groups yeah. over the weekends and during that. So, so that school was growing um, and so... Uh, I started exploring the ways how I can perfect myself to actually deliver something better because I realized that people were start, started flocking from normal language schools to that girl who <laughs> just happens to be in love with the language. Um, but on a serious note, um, just when I traveled to study at the university, then I set up a formal sort of, you know, uh, a company. And then by accident, giving uh, giving some language, extra language classes at the local other language school in that new city, um, someone realized that 
oh, she, she has some sort of a passion and a drive and is very ambitious. There is a contract coming from, um, that was the NATO forces uh, from to, to train Polish army wow. and uh, Polish Navy. And um, I, I think that was before, long before my university diploma, I, I hired teachers, so I won the tender. And that's when the serious business started. Wow. Uh, ultimately within two years, that turned into training half of the sort of northern region of Poland, both, um, you know, B2B clients mm -hmm. and B2C lessons, uh, but Army and police academy. So I, I was hiring teachers who had diplomas. I was still studying towards mine. Mm -hmm. Um, and teaching as well. Um, you know, I think probably nowadays that would have not happened that easily for someone with no diploma. Back then it it did. Uh, but I think I was very well organized and I knew how to intuitively, I, I knew how to mm -hmm. how to make sure that I continue keeping the contracts and I kept the contracts for a number of years. That's very cool. I think if that would have happened in the 2010s, you would have started a YouTube channel and you would Maybe. have been the, the Polish person teaching everyone English. But it's that element of where the, the irony is, is that in the 90s, we didn't necessarily have the internet. So you, you had to do it a different way. But almost yes. as, a, as a grounding in entrepreneurship, you had the passion. You had something that a lot of other people didn't have. <clears throat> and the irony is because you didn't have your diploma yet, a lot of the existing people would have followed just existing routes that they would have thought, okay, I'll be taught and I will teach through the existing jobs. As well, you didn't have that. So you're like, well, I'll just go out and win the tender myself. But I think there's a, a whole mindset that you obviously had from school, from selling your paintings, but not everyone has has that. And it's about the magic to spot the opportunity or the gap. I, yes. I often talk to people, there's a, a former guest called Joanna Freely, and she runs a fabulous business called Trend Bible. And what they do is that they forecast where trends are going to go in three, four, five years time. And they look at all of the, the weak signals and the strong signals in the market. And so she predicted the growth in vegan food like 10, yeah. 15 years ago. But what's really fascinating is to do that, you have to do higher order thinking. It's to be able to spot the gap. So you yes. don't you don't get given A, B, C, D. You spot A, B. And you have to be able to see where it's going to get to and then jump in before it happens. And not everyone has that talent, I think, which is, and it's, it's a funny, it's a skill set that not everyone has, but it often is underappreciated in schools, if that makes sense. Because often Absolutely. school is built about, we teach you stuff, you tell us the same stuff back and we grade it. As and that's a Polish school. That's the Polish school. I mean, we studied uh, piles of books. And I didn't mind because I was the one reading. I mean, we had a huge library at home, but then the application of what you read or the, the way that they wanted you to apply that in life had no, no connection. I mean, I have a number of university diplomas in the end. I, I, I did a number of those, a few BAs, MA, uh, and then, you know, post-MAs. Post it does not really relate to what I do. But I think if you've got that entrepreneurship knock and kind of see the spots, something, the opportunity you seek, and you know how to connect the dots, and the network is very important. I mean, I would not be able to deliver those contracts mm -hmm. if I had not a very good network. 
of people who who helped me and worked for me. Um, they had diplomas in the end. I, I, I had a diploma towards the end of that. And we were delivering a very like excellent pass rate, 98% pass rate with mm -hmm. NATO courses. You, if you don't deliver, they, they terminate the contract very quickly. And those are very intense. So, you know, that that was a success. But equally, later on, I um, I got pregnant. It was still when I was delivering the courses for the army. And uh, I thought like, well, I love my child to be uh, bilingual or at least mm -hmm. both speak both languages fluently. But how you do that if you are in a in, in Poland where they don't speak English now every day? Well, I had a English speaking community around me and quite a lot of native speakers. I, you know, had books and everything in English, you name it, or video, you know, stories for, for my future child. But I started thinking like, okay, so how, how do I do that? Well, I need to set up a nursery that is with native speakers. Um, there was nothing in Poland. I think there was one in Warsaw and maybe so, okay. one. So you wanted to teach your daughter English? Yes. So you but actually, was... so you actually set up a nursery I did. to surround her with English speakers just to teach I her. I did, I did, I did. I uh, took up a two-year uh, course at a university doing the research on bilingualism and crazy. You know, second language <laughs> acquisition. At the back of it, I did a small sort of self-angel investment into that new business, still running the other business, and and. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, rented the premises, did all the marketing, everything, uh, hired the teachers. Um, I had to, I think the biggest difficulty was to convince people that uh, even a half year old, if it comes to, a, you know, nursery where you have people that speak English only, can start, you know, mm -hmm acquiring the language not speaking the language not understanding but you know the, the children were playing obviously yeah all the children were were had more sort of organized tuition so to say um i i did set it up and that was the start after i think two years i started getting inquiries from public institutions public um you know um nurseries and preschools to try and help them implement a better curriculum to teach uh, the language because they taught languages already and like four to three to five years old so they wanted to see where another approach could potentially mm -hmm. uh, boost what they were doing so we in a in a way um yeah that 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 little you know the, the little accident in my life I mean, well not accident my daughter would be upset um but uh but but that has led me to to doing something on a bigger scale not just my my own sort of tuition center um but um but later on working with a number of um you know public public institutions which it's, it's very which cool also because yeah. it, it, it's because you you need to combine the opportunity with the talent and the ambition so you can have a lot of people have the talent and the ambition but the opportunity never comes up or there's an opportunity there but people don't even realize or they do realize and they don't want to go for it but it, it's funny like you said at the start it's when the stars align that you things happen because i knew you had an ed tech background but this goes back a long way if that yes. before tech 
Yes, yeah, yeah. Because tech, that's long before tech. I still find it funny that when you speak to young people nowadays, so the guys that I play basketball with are 18, 19, yeah. 20. If you were to show them a cassette tape, they wouldn't know what it was. <laughs> we did this. With the listen. pencil to tennis, yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's just how the world has changed. You know, but I think for the better. But one of the things that really kind of comes across is that you obviously have a passion for teaching and entrepreneurship, but education, you know, as a whole. Why do you feel that that's important to you? Like I said, so I, I, I came from a home where, where books were present, where my, my father used to, even when he was an entrepreneur, he used to, I remember briefly, but my mother actually recently reminded me, he used to, uh, as a business person, go travel with his colleague to different villages in the region to give talks on how to run a business, inspire people. So something like we do with Startup Grind, but it wasn't Startup Grind, it was in Poland in 80s, maybe 90s, because mm -hmm. uh, then we had a accident and 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 my, my father died but oh, um so 92 but in the 80s so he was going and and you know ha had had those lectures to educate people and inspire them more inspired than educate mm. um and i think that's that's one thing yeah. but very quickly i realized that i could set up the business without schools and i did it correctly as long as you're very inquisitive, open, and you're daring, you, you dare to, to jump because it may not work um, and believe in yourself. At the same time, I did a lot of diplomas and then realized like, this is all detached. This doesn't make sense. My daughter, um, and I, I, I don't think she will be angry for, for, for me for saying that. I mean, she got these in her business studies. She excels in business right now. She's 22 and, and she's great at marketing. She has her own but side. the way gigs. it was taught and packaged. It was absolutely, yes. And I mean, I spent 10 years, around 10 years also as an academic teacher at university. So I knew that from the backstage also what it looks at, at the back. And I thought like, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm pro-education, mm -hmm. but whatever you take whether it's formally informal if it pushes you that's great a lot of people have great ideas don't have the education sometimes they have the education they don't they lack ideas you have to connect the dots and very quickly i i, I thought that if i can do something to help them and inspire sharing my stories but my story is full of actually failures as well i so mean i was 27 I think or 26 when one of the businesses I, I had three businesses with my partner at the time and one of them just went poof within days um took me two years to to put it together and you know this is actually a huge success I would say it was a failure but it's not a failure it's when you learn the most what you how, how far you can really go and you know sharing this but also once you build that network, opening that network and possibilities, just helping people to find their connection, connecting mm -hmm. the dot, they sometimes don't see it, but you see it for them. It's not always, you know, that, that all those connections work, but the best ones will ignite. And I think this is what uh, what led me when I came to UK 
um after because uh, because uh after after the nursery i i traveled to warsaw i ran some bigger businesses there um and then and then came to to the uk where i set up the companies that i run right now which is open solutions and a business academy and the london business academy was sort of a idea for helping entrepreneurs exceed and excel and be better and um more kind of a powerful network and with with NatWest for a number of years, we we run a number of events, very much like startup grind, but more for for more mm-hmm. kind of scale up companies. And then when I moved to the north for for my short sort of stay in the north where we met, um, I just thought that ecosystems and London is full of different you know organizations but I felt like ecosystems would benefit from something from outside but at, mm-hmm. at the same time entrepreneurs even if they they already know that I'd like to do something they need to be sometimes helped inspired or, or opportunities thrown into them and sometimes people's at school uh, they they also need a bit of a guidance showing them like forget what you learned at business studies you 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 have the idea you can start step by step from here from a to b to c so yeah if it makes sense that that's that's where i realized that i do have a passion for helping people i'd like to i'd like to think that there is there is um you know some impact mm-hmm. Uh, in in what I do because I do spend quite a lot of time on that <laughs> it's but like the, a full-time you know, job but I guess we all do it it's how we how you choose what your career is that so one of my big things as you know is that it's almost it's helping people from underprivileged and underrepresented backgrounds yeah. because as as I've gone through my career you see that the more money you get the bigger your network is the more you can afford different things and opportunities increase yeah. But to fight out from lower down where you don't have the network, you can't afford the course, you don't have the grades to get into university, you can't get the job because you can't just ask your dad's friend to it's tough. And that's a big thing for me that I really kind of resonate with the with the story. But also what you've proved and what I'm trying to prove is almost the fact that one person or a small group can actually facilitate change to really make a difference and that's the big thing but it's you are right that the networks and the things really kind of help um yes no cool so would you be happy to almost tell people about the kind of thing that you do now yes well um i wear a couple of hats but basically my my majority or or, well all i do uh is around startups and scale-ups and working with uh, with businesses. In the past, I, I, I did support organizations at different sizes from mm-hmm. startups that were my own to blue chip clients where I delivered, um, you know, solutions, reviewing processes and designing the processes to improve uh, the way they work internally or sometimes externally for clients like BMW, uh, Scania. So they were long year projects. Um, and and they were great, but but then working with sort of mid-sized companies and leading leading companies, um, and it kind of gave me a taste of everything from a startup, my own, like a nursery where I build a team of five or six people, to a company that I uh, managed in Warsaw with probably around. 300 or 400 mm-hmm. people so you know you you get the taste of everything and you think like what do i enjoy most and um <clears throat> that was helping i would say not not 
well, I do I do work with the very, very early stage, almost idea stage, more on a mentor sort of basis, the accelerators, etc. Uh, but my main work involves MVP plus scale up uh, stage startups. Um, I do have a sweet spot for tech. I love tech. And um, and right now, the focus is very much on tech. I started, obviously, because of my background, a lot of projects years back when I set up my company was very much around, you know, uh, training companies, growing and scaling education companies. So by, by scaling is a 360 degree review. You're looking inside the business, outside, how can you, what they need to do mm -hmm. to scale. And that very often, in, you know, involved looking at the processes internally and okay, well, you cannot run that on an Excel spreadsheet. You cannot do that this way or that way. We need to put the infrastructure and usually tech goes behind that. You're not getting clients your competitors are getting, but you're, you know, you're still using Microsoft and no offense to Microsoft, but, but, you know, that's, that's not the only thing you rely on in business. So then very quickly, I realized that I'd like to get wider than, than that. Um, and I started getting inquiries from businesses from abroad, uh, mm -hmm. very often tech businesses that needed that network effect here and a bit of a guidance in terms of how to navigate a foreign market, how to expand here, but also someone who very well understands the business, the business relations and their business inside out. Um, and that's what I started doing with a small team of, of associates. So my work right now very much revolves around um, helping businesses mm -hmm. expand scale, um, either within the UK or into the UK or into the US, connecting them with the investors. What started more as a consultancy business, right now I call it a venture scaler. So it's it's much more um, hands-on approach mm -hmm. and uh, a slightly different model. Uh, but on top of that, um, a lot what I do goes around startup grind, which is my pro bono role and so currently uh, three, three chapters across mm -hmm. the UK. Um, and uh, including London, which is a big one, to in the northeast, and and it's helping you know the ecosystems to be well connected with that global ecosystem of startup grind, running events, hopefully inspiring some people, helping them on the way. And I think you know even if helping them to fail earlier, mm -hmm. this is also yeah. good because their next business might actually be very successful. So, you know, like I said, failure is not uh, not ultimate. Because it was at the event, I forget when it was, but we had Anthony Rose, it was on a Saturday, came up to Newcastle. So he was a guest on the podcast about six months ago. And it, But I would never have met him in person if I didn't go to the event. And the point I made to him was that he must have really wanted to come, because if you don't know, he's a really successful guy. On a Saturday, Absolutely. in his own time, to come to speak to a room of 30, 40 people, but for me, it was fascinating because like I also, I, one of my talents is the ability to read and learn information. And there's a huge difference though between reading the top five recommended books on venture capitalism and raising yeah. money, fundraising, and actually doing and actually talking to people. And I had a call earlier today with a, a partner in a VC firm. And it's fascinating to learn from different people. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because you've been around tech a fairly long time but actually it's how it's changed and I'll, I'll let you describe but i'll kind of salt the pot a little bit 
but it's almost where we had the internet boom in the 90s then there was the dot-com crash early 2000s mm. then there was a huge boom up until 2008 2009 then the world ended my big market crash but then there was 14 years or so of just prosperity and almost interest-free capital and just it was apparently I'd, i was too late for it but it was so easy to raise money and then now it's that's gone again but what my point is is that although the rules for tech and fundraising have probably changed seven times since 96 and it's almost as someone that has been through some of that you know a lot of that how have you seen it how tech has changed in the past 20 years oh my god <laughs> <laughs> So I spent this this week, this past week has been absolutely incredible for me. I, I had the opportunity, thanks to Startup Grind, actually, because that was a very, uh, very expensive and a great event to, to be at Cogex in London, AI focused events and uh, among many sessions and so many so many people that I met, like from states, from New Zealand, people that I always wanted from with big companies that I wanted to to hear and hear their voices, their opinions. So I had opportunity, but among them, there was Stephen Fry. Oh, wow. And Stephen Fry said something. And I mean, that was a chef's case, his talk. Maybe, you know, among the really focused techpreneurs, uh, he was slightly different, but he was actually looking at, you know, more kind of a human aspect of tech and where it leads us is there a hope for us and one thing he said was very obvious uh but we keep forgetting um and i always said that you know uh technology accelerates very quickly but leadership education don't always follow that quickly what stephen said was like tech technology is not a noun it's a verb it always you know it always um Changes. moves mm -hmm. And and I think it's uh it's 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 a great way of looking at it. So over the last twenty years, I mean my daughter is twenty two. So I remember before she was born, I at the time I was also one one part of my business was uh translation, interpreting, uh reviewing documents. I remember one of the first projects, uh uh communications review for Scania, um was typing on an electric typewriter or sometimes on a computer that's not i mean to connect to internet was making those noises you know <laughs> so everything was slow and my shelves were falling under the heaviness of dictionary dictionaries i remember taking my you know uh exam for to to, to be a certified uh translator we already were using you know internet and and at that time, there were, I think, like online dictionaries or, or you know, on or on a um, hard disk, I think, uh, maybe not on, on Google, like open source. Um, but we had to take physical dictionaries into like books, heavy mm -hmm. books to the exam. So that has changed. It's 20 years. It's like nothing. I, I, I still think like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still 20 something. And then I realized like, no, actually my daughter is 20 something. Uh, but the way the world has changed within that time, it's much quicker and it's quicker and quicker year after year. I mean, we started discovering chat GPT uh, months Seven ago, months maybe ago, yeah. a year ago. Yes, absolutely. And right now, 
now what, what it can do and how many other developments within you know within AI you have and it's not just AI or or you know we were talking about uh, web free blockchain two years ago and you know th mm -hmm. those things are business models are changing um, the way we we work as people everything so yes absolutely I think it's um, it's a it's a great time to 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 live and to operate to run a business in but it also means that you know you cannot stop learning you have to be really up to speed with that because if you don't and you don't have to be i mean i don't have a tech background i have a sweet spot for tech uh but i learn and i have to learn mm -hmm. because if i work with a company that is in deep tech and they do something like, you know, it can be computational modeling, it can be IoT systems, whatever it is. They have solutions in order for me to understand how can we expand, mm -hmm. how to find the marketplace for that business. It's actually try and understand what they're doing as well. Um, so that's one aspect. But the other aspect, you know, for any business owner is like how you set up your business to be really, you know, uh, you know how how can you use what AI tools you can use to speed things up? You know, right now, I mean, since I started using ChatGPT, it's like it's my uh, marketing assistant, it's my brand assistant, it's becoming you know, and in so many ways you can you can you can do that. But obviously, you have to have a healthy approach to that. Because <laughs> I think the one constant is that you give a few different examples of how tech and tech trends and so the big hype six months ago was ai like it's still a big thing but actually <laughs> some of the um because i watch bloomberg quite a lot and some yeah. of the companies that raised a ton of money aren't doing as well as they hoped and then people now start to question is that bubble is it not but the point is you have the tech is to facilitate the human part of the chain so the part of the the chat that i had this morning is that so i've run a i know you know but it's a, an ed tech company called roadmap but it's about making business education accessible and whilst there are tens of thousands of multi-billion pound business education companies they're largely aimed at rich white people in western nations and there's a huge blue ocean that half the world lives off less than six dollars a day i'm trying to figure out where's the space where everyone else is looking over there to do that so part of one of my recent uh, diagnostics uh, for the startup program on was on that i'm fairly technology light yes. but you could argue that that's a positive because i can continue to pivot and change to find my niche as where well, one of my big things is that so i also in theory compete with universities but universities literally have 600 million pounds worth of assets and that's just newcastle but if you have the sunken cost fallacy where you've invested in 600 million pounds worth of uh, physical buildings and 6,000 staff, you might actually, from a business point of view, pivot and use AI to deliver a better service, cheaper, etc. But you'll probably resist until you're forced to because of the prior investment. And I think that's the real difference is that I'm trying to wait and watch based on how AI is well, it only launched realistically in February, March. We're in September now. That I know it's going to just destroy everything and create something new. But that's a difficult, it both it's a difficult change for people that have invested a lot in the old tech. But it's also a huge opportunity for people like me and others to utilize that haven't 
spent six billion pounds on stuff that they don't need anymore and that's for me is where tech's really interesting is because it keeps evolving change creates opportunity and i think that's the you know the really exciting thing to try and just figure out okay what could i do how could it work the other flip side with with tech though is that it's the the, the inverse power law so it's the fact that you might have ten thousand great companies but one of them's going to win and win really big and the other mm. 9,900 are going to do okay. And there's some in the middle. And it's either all or nothing. As Peter Thiel says, it's the race to one. It's, it's zero to one. How do you win? And that's something I struggle with sometimes because it's almost where I'm, I'm trying to look through it through objective glasses to say, well, actually, if I know I can't or I'm less likely to win, be that one, do I want to do that? Or do I want to find the, the space where I could win? And that's where the kind of the mentorship and the network's come good yeah. to just find that niche that you you have to do which i think is quite cool i was going to ask you about ai but i think we've kind of covered it is there anything just about the topic of ai that you haven't covered so far or where do you think it's going to go in 10 years time oh well i i'm, I'm not an expert i wouldn't be able to uh to to guess i think <clears throat> i think it, it won't be stopped I think one of the things, and that's again, you know, that, that event that I just got through, um, so many different views, so many people that are very, very active and very deep in AI space. And, you know, the whole, the whole event was very much reflecting on, um, you know, where, where is it going? Where is it heading? So if they are asking the question, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably not in a position to answer that. I think it won't be stopped. I think it will be, um, you know, a growing and the development on, you know, the, the AGI, uh, that's, that's something that, that's, you know, uh, will probably be happening maybe in, you know, companies in collaboration, mm -hmm. And it's gonna it's gonna continue, um, and uh, well, I can't wait to to read, and maybe I'll be able to answer that question. But that won't be my opinion. But maybe that will help to shape. Um, I started reading um, Mustafa Suleiman's book, uh, the um, the way that, uh, and and that's uh, probably. Uh, where maybe I'll find some more some more answers, uh, but yeah, I think I think that's nothing that we can stop it, and it's probably where we can dig a lot of a lot of goods. Um, at the same time, it's 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 like opening that Pandora's box, you know, and and a lot of uh, scary things might might jump out. Because for me personally, the way that so I also went to an edtech AI event. <clears throat> and it was at Newcastle University and it was three months ago and what was fascinating in the room was you had a range of speakers and experts and a lot of them were saying well you can use AI to help you write curriculums and to make your life easier as a teacher and whilst that is all absolutely true they were also saying well actually what you could do is if you have 100 different students for each different student they would have an assistant and the assistant tailored to them, for instance, in the example of your daughter with business, they will be able to tailor the perfect business education at the right level to feed them stuff that they thrive on. And it's there 24 hours a day to help them. And won't this make teachers' lives easy? And we fast forwarded through and I said, well, I, I believe them. But why then do you need the university and or the school 
in its traditional current form because if you're going to have your virtual best friend it could even be a hologram and we've both seen um apple's new headset which looks incredible but with augmented reality you could have it on and it's like just talking to someone they could be your best friend but actually they could also be the most wise person in the world they can teach you philosophy and engineering and law and they'll always tailor it perfect to you but my point being that i can actually see the entire education system being completely uh, revolutionized yes. that where i hope it goes to is that universities go back to what they were 500 years ago where it's creative spaces for people who have similar passions to go and talk in person mm-hmm. rather than sixty thousand pounds worth of debt to teach you a curriculum that won't necessarily help you in the real world but i i can see that happening and it, that's not a bad thing i think it's a good thing but it was almost what I, I found interesting on the topic was that people wanted to extrapolate the concept of ai whilst it suited them and not mm. keep going to the point of where ooh, i might be out of a job in 30 years you would just pivot and change jobs but you get my point it, it, it's a really yeah fascinating uh time to be alive i guess oh yeah absolutely i mean one the the out of job question was was going throughout the whole event and i think the point there and and the point that i heard earlier and i think i believe that's that's true it's like where there was the invention of cars you know yes well horses are, are, are well enjoying a great life somewhere else and i think you know the the thing is that people doing those jobs that can be that may be endangered automatic sort of jobs or anything that is easy they their jobs will evolve Mm -hmm. um and 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 that's one of the things it's not necessarily losing the job it might be evolving into something different um and what you mentioned about the curriculum and students studying i remember uh speaking to uh someone working at the university as a phd researcher in ai some time ago and what they were doing is actually training ai in a pair like you're studying with a student student with student what they were pairing a student with an ai bot to study the same curriculum and see what happens Mm. how that involves taking the same exams taking the same case studies and working on them so an ai and a student together so i'd be very keen to see how that progresses and where that takes us and one of the things that actually uh, Stephen showed us at uh, at at his talk was, uh, you know, where where AI is taking because we are t- t- talking about well, write a curriculum, but it's it's way more than that if you look, and uh, he played a piece of the you know he he often reads for mm-hmm. documentaries and that was a, I think a documentary around um, Nazis in in Denmark or Netherlands. And uh, he showed a piece and said, like, well, that was me reading. So, so have a listen and then I'll show you uh, the AI version of it. And, and it stopped. And he said, well, actually, that was the AI version, which I was not aware. And was basically, you know, uh, stealing of, well, in a, in, in a way, his, his, his IP. Um, and then the question during the next session is like, well, how can we protect ourselves from using our face from using our because because you know what you can do with ar in, in in terms of stealing the identity fraud and and you know the the deep fake is oh. is is huge and one of the questions was like what can we do and i 
and I, 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 I genuinely felt like, well, could Stephen Fry sue the, the, the filmmakers? Um, and apparently not, unless you create your identity sort of, and you mm -hmm. put an IP mm -hmm. on that identity with the voice and everything. So you, it's, so it's, uh, it's a way of protecting your voice, your face. Uh, but as a human, yeah. you, you're apparently, you're not able to say like, well, you use my face for something or you use my voice and, you know, I like to see you. So, you know, loads of ways, uh, and, and here is just what, 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 AI can mean to you as a person in and and you know apparently actors or famous people already have that in place. Mm -hmm. So maybe Stephen or Patricia don't don't need that. Or we can't afford that yet. It's it's not so. I have actually looked at it. I've looked at how because I do a lot of online videos, you know, but where you could create a digital avatar of you. Absolutely yes. And it's I have looked because I only speak English. But one of the big issues I have as a business is language translation because most of the world doesn't speak English or not as their first language. But I, I can see it just incredible things where I think the issue you will have, and we're already kind of there, is that people will just lose trust in everything because actually in the Russia-Ukraine war, very cleverly someone broadcasted a deep fake Putin on Russian TV saying i think it was ukraine had won the war or give up or, but the point is this is real that's like something out of a film and that yes. actually and it's yes. on, it, it, i i think we're going to go through a period where people either lose trust in the media unless you know it's watermarked as being real real yes yes yeah watermarks and you know one of the points was um the worse will be different you won't need power or, you know, you won't need weapon or your weapon will be, will be the AI. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, and then, you know, so, so it's absolutely a different sort of shift in terms of the power and, and what you can do with it and what type of AI you have. And if you think of Russia or China, and then I you think look for at me it, how, it, it, how it, we are talking about being ethical. Yeah. Um, because that's the big thing is that with i think what will happen is often it's when multiple technologies combine so quantum computing is getting close to being you know regular day-to-day -day viable one of my yeah. former guests was a guy called craig fenton that runs google in europe and this was two years ago but almost it, it's close and the, the the code breaking ability of quantum computers is off the charts compared to regular yeah. computers but you combine that power with AI to iterate. The point is you might have well-meaning actors with regulation that follow the rules. But if you have someone with a self-interest that doesn't follow the rules, they could just poof, take over the world. Absolutely. And yeah. that's, I think we'll end the scary conversation there. But the point is it's fascinating. <laughs> and what I look forward to is that when I'm 85, I'll get to look back from my hologram and rewatch this conversation and see how we're all incredibly wrong. And actually, <laughs> yes. it was all fine. Um, what's your big dream for the future? Obviously, you've talked about this incredible career and the stuff that you've done with tech. And then I know your daughter now works in tech and you work with loads of really cool people. What's your big dream for the future? Well, I don't think I'm nowhere near fulfilling my dream. Uh, 
I think I'd like to, you, you mentioned like when you're 85, you rewatch the conversation. I would like to rewind kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm 85, if I manage to be one day to, to look back and think like, all right, well, what I did was, it's, it's, it's not about money. I think it's never been for me. It's, it's, it's about, you know, doing something that makes me feel good, makes me feel accomplished. And usually I feel accomplished when I, when I see the impact of little things that I've done. Um, so, so looking at this and I once, um, and speaking again of the age 85, I once, um, met i think 20 years ago it was when when i had my um i I co-run a sailing business so we were on boats and a boat next to us was a beautiful yacht from the states and then two people on that huge boat emerged uh both in their late 80s uh with uh you know all the technology on the boat that you could have at 20 years ago and faxes and everything so they were still sort of like mm-hmm. attached to their life in new york and and their business that were probably exiting or just having as you know founders and someone was running for them and at the same time being free so i think my 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 kind of a dream for the future would be to really have that accomplished accomplishment feeling, but at the same time, a huge feeling of freedom, not detached to a certain place, not mm-hmm. detached to a certain, um, you know, have the freedom of choice where I am with, with whom, what I do. I don't feel that I will ever retire because I love what I do, but have that boat sail across the seas and, and, you know, but, 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 but have the, and that the bit that's the bit when I need technology. Be connected with you Get know, a Starlink. You'll be fine. I'm navigating from from the border. I think that I, I think that's something that I would love to do. Yeah, like cool. eighty plus, maybe. Yes, I love sailing. I'd love to go back on the water, and and you know, not retire, but have my sort of semi retirement. Okay. <laughs> it, it's funny though because I think the I think COVID, and just the the sad fact is that with as you get older people get sick and you have more family die and that kind of thing and i think we we personally it was one of the things we did on holiday last week was almost it's to reassess life priorities that if you would have asked me 20 years ago it was about escaping something of achievement feeling that i'd achieved something and almost public recognition that okay he's done okay you know so for me ironically that getting the managing director job title at 33 was a big one for me because it was something I never thought I'd ever do and then that morphed into social impact startup and the stuff that I'm doing now and whether it fails or not I feel I've tried my best so I'm content with that but then now it's starting to look at well actually what do I want to do with my life what things do I enjoy who do I like to spend my time with mm-hmm. and it's got nothing to do with making money <laughs> But actually, I think that's the real beauty of tech is the ability to give people options to really kind of build something. And I think that's quite, kind of quite nice. So towards the end of each interview, I have a, a, a series of kind of uh, set questions. These have their own section on YouTube, which I like to kind of link back. Um, okay. Would you be happy to share the best piece of advice you've ever had? So the best piece of advice. Whoa. Okay. Um. I think, well, that the one from my father, always speak the truth and seek the truth. 
Yeah. And that's very, you know, succinctly said, but um, I think that's that 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 works very well. Seek the truth. <laughs> Can I ask, when was your father born? Poland. When? when? Uh, oh, 48, I think. Okay, because the reason why I think that's even more poignant is that he lived through a more turbulent time. Yes. I think now in some ways that we have the internet that i think the truth is easier more likely to get out than it did in 1948 or the 70s or the 80s but i think it's still very true and it goes back to the deep fake ai conversation of uh yes yes and and you know seek the truth i think maybe we can we can look at it as the the real meaning of things look deeper i would interpret that this way be be inquisitive look for don't take things for what they look on the surface yeah. or, you know, people or, you know, so, so kind of at the same time, yeah, speak the truth and be genuine. And I think, you know, yeah, so, so that's one, that's, that's the one I, I, I kind of, it stayed with me. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think, think it's cool. I think it's good. If you were to give advice to your younger self and you could pick you at school, you could pick the 10 year old selling their artwork. You could pick the first business, you could pick the second business, you could pick yourself six months ago. Yeah. If you were to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Okay, my younger self. If I was giving advice to a younger self in sort of like finishing school, starting my first business, have more faith in yourself and trust what you're doing, because I was doing all those jumps, but I was very... I had an imposter syndrome. I always felt like if you put me on a basketball field and told me, Patricia, play basketball. I mean, I was the first one like, I'm not playing because I did not feel it was my thing. Okay. So uh, with business, I'm more daring, but, but still. And then... And then I think if you, if I look at myself later on in, in, in later years, um, look at which battles to fight and which to just give up. Okay, no, it's it's good, it's good. Is there anything you would like to talk about and plug before we go? Well. Where can people find you on social media? Is the other oh, easy. Where, where they can find me. All oh, right. Well, uh, that's LinkedIn. Twitter, maybe not so active since uh, since Twitter changed into X. It's, it's probably I'm not as active there, but I think LinkedIn is my, my sort of primarily um, no. social media. Facebook, no. I'm, I gave up on Facebook years ago. <laughs> Out of interest, because it relates to tech. Why yeah. did you give up on Facebook? It's changed. It changed drastically. So I was one of the very first wave of users of Facebook. Not the very first one, because obviously you had to study at a certain university to be there. But then very quickly, I took up a project at uh, Queen Mary in, in London. I was still in Poland. And that's how they invited before anyone was using Facebook in Poland. Someone at that time, you had to be invited. Someone invited me as part of the project we were before I came to London was meet the team. Uh, and I don't remember the year, but it was just after they released that wider mm -hmm. to wider audience. And then it changed very much. And I also feel that I changed um, my audience or my friends. My friends are not necessarily on Facebook. And if they are, I can meet them elsewhere. Uh, but my business sort of connections audience where I where I give most focus on is LinkedIn. I think Facebook has a slightly different taste. So um but yeah. I, I agree. So I was at university when it first launched. And this is a true story. 
So I remember at the time, MySpace was a thing. Oh and yeah. Someone convinced me to to create a, a MySpace page. And also thank you, Jonathan, for nice words. So I, I created a MySpace page, spent about two days on it. Then someone told me about Facebook. Yeah. And I never went back to MySpace. But the big yeah. difference, I think, it's as they grew and they started to commercialize more. I now don't use it, but also I, I, I've whittled right down to 65 people. There was a one point with hundreds. And that's yeah. because my sports team uses it and different things. But the point is, you can see how a huge tech giant booms. But then through the competitive forces of the market where they're forced to make money and do, they make decisions or Elon Musk with X and Twitter. Yes. You can see them going off that. Yes. Okay. They use WhatsApp and I still use WhatsApp because it's not brilliant, but it kind of works and it's, you know, but I think you will get constant change of platforms, but the one constant is still the human interaction that I think as you get older, I care more about a fewer number of people but i also care less about what other people think so i don't share it yes absolutely and i think it's a great point you know the human interaction so yes my social media platform of of uh you know of of choices linkedin twitter less uh but then i think that community outside of social media and, you know, uh, connecting with the people that I sometimes met on social media or we meet from events to events. life. was the business academy in the past or, or right now that's the startup grind in real life. But that's not the network you meet every day, but it's mm -hmm. still your network. There are somewhere sitting on your sort of platform. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's all about making more than just a connection, I think. And yes, not quantity. I mean, my inner circle is very tight. Uh, but outside of that, the business circle is, is, is really trying to, and when I was younger, I was trying to be cool and please everyone. And right now I'm, I think I'm more and more every day discovering like, I don't give a, yeah. I, 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 I'm this either you like me or not as long as i don't hurt anyone that's fine that's cool but i think so, that's where the magic is and will be for the next 10 20 years and it's almost so a tech platform might amplify that will give you a space but what sits behind that is the human interaction and relationships and, and that's what i think is is where a lot of the the education will come from but the networks will come from and almost yes. where the opportunity is and it's just fascinating because in both of our tech lifetimes, we've seen huge people grow and fail. And that will continue to happen. It will always happen. But I think yeah. that the ability to learn, iterate, fail, start again, it's that resilience. It's you at the piano. You get Everyone gets hit with the stick every so often. That actually it, it's the passion to just keep going. I think is really special. And um, Patricia, yes. I've really enjoyed today. And obviously we've known each other for quite a long time. But there was so much stuff that I just didn't know. And I think what's really fascinating is part of the reason why I love long form content is you get to dig a bit deeper and learn the kind of stuff that you would never learn in a LinkedIn post. Yeah. But actually, yeah. when you do get to know more about, for me, the guests, but for other people when they get to know you, you know, there'll be people that really resonate with your story. And I certainly have a lot more respect for your journey than I did. And I already had respect, but now I, I know the background, I know more of the depth and for me, there's something special in that. But anyway, but no, thank you for your time. 
today i've really enjoyed it and um, for anyone else that watches this will all get clipped up and go onto youtube um, you can add patricia on linkedin i'll link all the stuff in the comments uh thank you for your time patricia and uh, have a wonderful rest of your monday thank you very much steve it's been a pleasure really enjoyed <laughs> Uh, good. Cool. And, well, uh, well, thank you, everyone. I hope that inspires a bit or, or yeah, sharing the story. Cool. Well, um, I will speak to you soon. Actually, thank you. Bye -bye. Cheers.